Good morning, church. Man, so they're raising money with a raffle and they're doing, did I hear that right? Guns, knives, and fishing poles? That's a redneck raffle. Just the kind that uh, fits me perfect. So uh, glad to have you here. We're going to have our uh, Lily Poole to come up and read our scripture for us. She is seven years old. And thank you, Miss Lily, for doing it. She loves art. And by the way, that I'm not surprised at that. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. First Corinthians 10.31. Excellent job. Excellent. Thank you. That is excellent. I love to see our young ones get up here and read scripture. And I love to see our old ones get older in their uh, marriage and uh, uh, their years together, such as Rhonda and Steve Williams. I think they're probably here. 35 years. 35. There you go. Keep it going. Congratulations. Congratulations. Rhonda, bless your heart. So, <laughs> no, that's great. Great couple. First um, Corinthians chapter 10. This week we're kind of wrapping up this the section of, of three chapters, chapter 8, 9, and 10, that deal with Christian freedom and the dangers and the problems that people are running into here and yet still trying to keep people... Pull them together to be unified, you know. The whole problem is they've been lifting men over one another. They lift our own gifts over one another. Uh, uh, you've got one group that's trying to be real strict. You've got one group that says anything goes. We've got grace. And so, uh, Paul, remember, last week Alan uh, did such a great job on, on chapter 9. And he talked about there at the very end about Paul running the race and that he... Uh, buffeted his body and that he uh, uh, did not want to be disqualified for the prize. And that leads right into the next verse in chapter 10. You understand in the original, there's no chapters and verses, right? And so this context is all the same thing. He goes right in to say, for that, for that very reason, for, I want to, uh, I want you to know some things about your history. So he's going to, first of all, in these first uh, uh, verses, uh, one through five, he's going to talk about the blessings that they have. But this is really a danger of confidence. They are confident, but they're confident in the wrong things, and their confidence is very casual. And they're taking sin pretty lightly. And so as a result, Paul's like, okay, look, I'm going to show you some examples from history uh, that's going to help help you understand how serious this is. Uh, any of you ever uh, learned from history of other people? I hope you have. You know, uh, that's the way my dad taught me. Uh, and uh, I have to be careful what I say. Both of my brothers now listen online, so uh, uh, they're apt to correct it. But however I remember, it's just how I remember, right? But I know this. Uh, uh, now, it was very recent history because it was uh, it was happened on a Friday night to one of them. And Saturday morning, when Dad was giving them the speech about how terrible it was or whatever happened, then he would turn to me and say, and son, if you ever do, and you know, I got the six-hour history. They did it, and buddy, you better not do it. 
And I got the warning and their example. Well, in one sense, this is kind of what Paul does here with the uh, uh, Corinthian church. He takes them back, even though there are a lot of them that are not Jews. There are a lot of Jews. And they have this history that Paul goes back to out of Exodus and Numbers. And I, I would love to just dive into each one of these stories, but we really can't do that today. But he's going to give them a lesson. First, he's going to tell them how blessed they are. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They had this deliverance, right? They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Just like the Corinthians had been baptized and identified with their leader, Jesus. These had been baptized, submitted and in subjection to their leader by God, who God set there, Moses. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they and the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So they have all these blessings. They've been rescued. They've been baptized. They've got the presence of God walking with them and, and guiding them. And God's even providing all the food that they need, the, the, the bread, the manna, the, uh, the water they need. It's all being provided. They're blessed people. They're privileged people. And then all of a sudden, he says this, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the whole desert. The desert floor was painted with the dead bodies of the Hebrew nation. Even though they had been so blessed. You can't take your deliverance lightly. And you better take the challenge of the holiness of God in a very serious way. So he, he, he tells them about this. The Corinthian church. Our church. He's telling us about this too. And he says, now these things occurred... As examples, this is the word for type, as a type. As a matter of fact, he uses it in verse 11 too, where he said these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. They're for us. They were for the Corinthian church and they're for our church. You can have a lot of blessings and a lot of talent and a lot of things going for you, but you better not get on your high horse about everything because you can fall if you ain't careful to follow God. So he says, uh, uh, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, I want to break down that verse just a little bit. He says, this, this happened as a history lesson to keep the Corinthians from setting their hearts on evil things as they did. Now, it doesn't show it in the English, but in the Greek, he uses the word lust or strong desire twice. In that verse, where it says, set our hearts on evil things, that's one word there, desire. That is strong desire. They lusted after evil things. As they, and look what, it uses the word again, instead of did, it's actually in the original language, as they lusted. He gave this example, he says, To keep us from lusting after the wrong thing like they lusted after the wrong thing. That's what he tells them. So now in the next few verses, 
He's going to tell them what those wrong things were. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. First thing is, we've talked a lot about it. Don't have any other gods before me. Do not commit adultery. Don't commit idolatry. We should not commit sexual immorality. There's the second thing. As some of them did. And then one day, 23,000 of them died. You think that would get anybody's attention? They got became so sexually immoral within that blessed, privileged nation. They gave themselves over to evil things. And because of their sexual immorality, 23,000 died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. Thousands of more. Now, the only good snake is a dead snake as far as I'm concerned. I'm more into me killing them than them killing me, right? But look at why. They were killed by snakes because they pushed God to the limit. They tested him. So says, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, they had all that manna to eat, you know, and they and then all of a sudden, you know, they don't like it. They're like, what about that food we used to have back in Egypt? We ought to get some of that. We're hungry, God. God said, okay, I'll give you some, I'll give you some manna, I'll give you some quail. And, and, and they're like, what? Is that it? It's almost like you just keep pushing me, don't you? It's like your kids, when they come in, they say, mom, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And okay, and you set them down at the table and you put food down there and they say, uh, yeah, but I don't want this. Can you fix that, right? And you want to say, you're about to push me too far. We say things like, you're getting on my nerves. Don't try me. They were trying God. They thought somehow or another his patience wouldn't run out, but they, but his patience did run out on their rebellion. So we've got idolatry, result, death. Sexual, immor- sexual immorality, result, death. By the way, let me say one statement here about sexual immorality. I know that we live in a culture that many people grow up absent of understanding morality. I get it. I run into people all the time out in the world. They live together. They're not married. They're sleeping together. They don't think anything of it. But you know what? I don't expect the world to live like Christians. I'm not surprised by that. I don't like it. I'm not surprised by it. But God's people must not have any of that in our lives and in our church. That cannot be. Remember, Corinthian church had it. Matter of fact, they had such immorality as even the pagans didn't do. You already corrected them once in this book. But for all of our folks, new Christian or not, regardless of what you came out of, I want you to understand, with all the grace and mercy I can for myself and you, because we're all fighting temptations, right? But sexual, the practice of sexual immorality to these people brought death, and the Bible is clear, don't you do it. 
Don't you sleep with somebody that you're not married to. Don't you do it. Don't you live together. Don't you commit sexual immorality. Someone said, well, my, why are you so hard on that? Because in a culture that thinks it's not wrong, it's real easy for us, especially new Christians that walk in to this world to think, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's one listed here. Look what it says. Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God. We talked about that. The result was death. And then this is one. What about this one they throw in with idolatry? That looks pretty big. Sexual immorality? Yeah. Man, pushing God to the limit. Now all of a sudden they threw in this one. Yeah, I'm like, okay, Paul, you just quit preaching with the meddling right here. Because look what he says. And do not, what? Grumble. Don't grumble, complain, or murmur, all those words. Don't grumble. So if you don't like my sermon, don't grumble. No, I'm just kidding. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. If you thought every time you would grumble, an angel of death might come knocking on your door, you'd probably watch your mouth better. I would. I would watch mine better if I could keep that in my mind. But as a whole group of people, this became a characteristic of that particular group. That cannot be a characteristic of our group as a church, just like it should not have been a characteristic of the group in Corinth. Do not grumble. That audible criticism of dissatisfaction. That's grumbling. Don't grumble. They were killed by the destroying angel. The angel of death. That's the one that came by the doorpost. Remember in Egypt? That's the angel of death. Then again he says, These things happened to them as examples, same word, types, and were written down as warnings for us. God wrote those that God looked at his people. He he had them write that down so that the Corinthian church could get warned not to go that direction. And we could too. Because he says, for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Who do you have to? You don't really have to tell a careful man to be careful. It's the careless man you have to tell to be careful. You know, the guy that just haphazardly throws a ladder up there and starts climbing up it. And he's, you're saying, well, you know what? You need to be careful. And he said, he said, oh, I don't need any help. Boom. Right? You should have been careful. And he's telling this church that it let their confidence Overcome their common sense. And you need to be careful about how you look at things. How you take sin lightly. You better be careful about this. These temptations that God Israel, they'll get you too. You better be careful. So he gives them this strong warning. All these are temptations. And then he tells them about temptations. He says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Every human being has, has gone through what you go through. 
And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under. Isn't that good news? Man. That no matter what happens, when I get tempted, I can never do the old saying, the devil made me. No, the devil didn't make you do it. There's not a temptation comes my way. That I can't bear up under or that God will not provide a way out. This word way out is a word for escape. And it, it's the picture of uh, the, the guys that get trapped in a canyon. And there's no, there's no way out. There's no escape. And all of a sudden they find that tunnel and there's a space. And they can go and they escape. It's that. God always has one there available for us. If we're looking for it. Always. Temptations will come. They will not be beyond what you can bear. And God always provides a way out. And he's faithful in everything he does. So you don't have to give in to these temptations. Learn from history. Now he's going to give them about compromise. Don't compromise. Now, what he says here. Is he, when he tells them, he tells them, look, flee from idolatry. Now, he, he's gonna do this little pattern within this section. He's gonna tell them to reason, think through something, then he's gonna give them two questions to help them think through it, and then he's gonna give them a statement. He does that twice. Let's just read a little bit. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. He, he tells them, look, think through this. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation. That's the word koinonia, that's communion in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. There's your two questions. Because there's one loaf and we who are many are one body and we all partake of the one loaf. This is the table you're gathering around. This is your spiritual nourishment. Israel had theirs. And they got off track. You've got yours. Think through this. Aren't, don't you realize you're participating with Christ in all this? And that you're one together? Then he does the same thing with the, the, the illustration of Israel again. Consider or think through the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate, here's a word again, in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? Here's the question again, two of them. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate, fellowship, commune with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You cannot have compromise in this thing of Christianity. I would love to go into a whole thing on the existence of demons. Yes, they exist. And they existed then. And that spiritual dark world is there. And that's why he says stay away from it. Avoid witchcraft. Avoid those sorcery. Avoid all those things. There is a spiritual battle going on. He tells you in Ephesians how to be equipped for that spiritual battle. But you can't. That dab in that world, you can't compromise and, 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 and sit on the fence here, so to speak, about somehow or another I'm going to be participating with Christ, but then I'm going to turn around and do actions that show I'm participating with the demons. Huh. No compromise. 
Then this last part. He tells them of their commitment and the danger of freedom. See, there's two groups, always two groups in the church, by the way, always exist. There's the group with who've discovered freedom and take it to an extreme. We typically call it license. I found grace and now everything's okay. Marseille says in verse 23, everything is permissible. But that's kind of where some of them just stop, right there. Like, hey, I, I've been saved. Grace takes care of me. You know what? I can do whatever I want to do. It'll be all right. Then you have those that are always willing to make up all the rules and tell you everything you can't do. The legalist. They have a rule book bigger than the Bible. And they're going to tell you what you can or can't do in an assembly, what you, how you walk in, how you walk out, uh, what, what you can and cannot go to. And I mean, they're there with all the rules and they squash freedom and they kill grace. Well, in this section, basically, which he's already done, he's telling us, Paul does, this balance that exists. Look. You have freedom, yes. But you never put your freedom above the benefit of other people. Look what he says. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Think about constructing something. That's building out. That's the idea of building. Building up people. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So he goes in next to this thing, and we've already talked about it quite a bit, the eating of meats offered to idols. And look, if everybody thinks your meat's okay and you're all right eating it, it's okay. But but you don't want to do, make, do something that violates somebody else's conscience. You don't want to push them over the edge, make them do something they think is wrong. He talked, dealt with that earlier, chapter 8. But you got this freedom. But listen. I don't always have the right to do what I have the right to do. What's the answer? Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all what? For the glory of God. This is why you take action Whatever it is, whether you practice your freedom, whether you restrict it for the sake of somebody else, regardless, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. Now, he's going to mention three things here, you, and, and they all bring God glory. But first, he says, you do whatever you do to the glory of God. Second, you do what you do for the benefit of other people. That's the next. Look what he says. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether it's Jews, Greek, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way. So so you give God glory. You do what you do to give God glory. You do what you do to benefit other people. And then look at this next one. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be what? Saved. Say it out loud. Saved. Say it again. Saved. We're in the business of saving people. 
We're in the business of sharing the good news of Jesus and living our lifestyle with integrity in a way that will save people. And if i got to give up freedom to save people, I'll give it up. Paul said he'd give up his own life, his own eternity to save his own people. That's how much he loved lost people. We must restore the love of the lost in our church and in our community. We must reach out to save the lost. I'm sorry, I had nowhere in my notes to go out that far and hard. I just remember what it was like to be lost. And I am thankful that some saved people reached out to me. I'm thankful for Gary Stevenson. I'm thankful for Ron Ghostin. I'm thankful for people that saw I could move from being lost to being saved. And they put that above their own freedoms. They could have been doing other things with their time besides following around a young man that had all kinds of struggles. They could have done other things with their life. Yet they put effort into my life. And they didn't even know me very well. Aren't you grateful for those that reached out to you? So he says three things here. You give God glory. You benefit other people. And you save the lost. And when you do that. Look what he says, because the next verse in that chapter goes with this chapter. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You have examples from history on what not to do. And we have the example of Christ on what to do. So the Corinthians, you have the example of history in the first part of this chapter. The end, you have the example of Christ. Here's what not to do, but here's what you do. So the question is, what will you do? If you have a need, come while we stand and sing.